I lost focus. So before I lose focus, I'm going to pray again. <laughs> Lord, just help me. That you speak through me, Lord Jesus, that you, that you would speak to us from your word, not what I have to say, Lord Jesus, because I, I don't have anything to say that's good. Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us and, and to, speak to our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So like Israel, we lose focus a lot. And I think that's the main problem. Anytime you see the problems, Israel falls into problems in the Bible, or God's people in the New Testament, the Israelites, the Pharisees, the disciples, they lose focus, right? They're losing focus. Big example of that was Peter walking on the water, right? As Soon as he took his eyes off Jesus, what'd he do? He sank. That's exactly what happens to us. We start to sink in life. So verse 19, I'm just gonna read it through the whole, the 19 to 26, and then we'll pick it up from there. The Lord was with the people of Judah, and they took possession of the hill country, but they failed to drive out the people living in the plains who had iron chariots. The town of Hebron was given to Caleb as Moses had promised, and Caleb drove out the people living there who were descendants of the three sons of Anak. The tribe of Benjamin, however, failed to drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. So to this day, the Jebusites live in Jerusalem among the people of Benjamin. The descendants of Joseph attacked the town of Bethel, and the Lord was with them. They sent men to scout out Bethel, formerly known as Luz. They confronted a man coming out of the town and said to him, show us a way into the town and we'll have mercy on you. So he showed them a way in and they killed everyone in the town except that man and his family. Later that man moved to the land of the Hittites where he built a town. He named it Luz, which is its name to this day. So you read that and you might think like, this is a kind of, jumps around a bit, but it's actually all tied together. So verse 19, the Lord was with the people of Judah. They took possession of the hill country, but they failed to drive out the people living in the plains who had iron chariots. So I looked some of that stuff up, a bit of the archaeology on that. And part of the reason they failed to um, get rid of the people with the iron chariots is because the Israelites didn't have iron themselves. They literally are going into the battle. They might have some swords, but that's about it. They've got some swords. These guys have modes of transportation, you know? Like if I roll up to somebody to, if there's a battle and the other team has trucks <laughs> and we're just running around, eh, we're probably going to lose, <laughs> you know? So that, I think that's how the Israelites are. But I'm not saying that to give them a good excuse. I don't know if you guys realize this, but the last time I checked, God is bigger than iron chariots. Isn't he? I mean, I think probably everybody in this room has a story or an account of when God was bigger than their problem. Yeah? So, and the Israelites had, what, myriads of stories up to this point. And, and they already had forgotten. They had already forgotten. They failed. The reason it says failed is because there was the possibility of not failing. Do you guys realize that? <laughs> Look at it like that. They failed because there was the possibility that they wouldn't have failed if they hadn't lost focus on God, to them, God, right? They would not have failed. They would have driven out the people living in the plains. They drove out everybody else when Joshua was leader, right? Why did they easily lose their focus? If they had been focusing on Joshua, then that was the wrong thing. They needed to be focusing on God. So... I mean, like the Israelites, I can give you a million excuses of why I've messed up. <laughs> yeah. Dave's even better at them. 
and my mom will tell you all of our excuses. <laughs> this one time, Juan tried to tell me this. Ma, it wasn't my fault. You know, I, yeah, I messed up, but it wasn't actually my fault. You see, what happened was, you know, it's like one of those. <laughs> Why is this broken? Oh, I remember one time, it's a tough one. I walked into the house. My mom loves like that country kitchen, and she had this beautiful shelf, and I mean big, just this big like country kitchen shelf, wrought, wrought metal, and all these big shelves, and she just had all this beautiful pottery on it. A baker shelf. A baker shelf, very big. I mean big, over two meters long, taller than us. And I come in like, you know, like the American football player I was. <laughs> and my jacket got stuck on it, and I took the whole thing down. <laughs> my mom, whew. how many of you know my mom? Raise your hand. Yeah, can you imagine what happened there? I'm lucky to be alive today. <laughs> I tell you about my near-death experience in a car crash. This was worse. <laughs> I'm, I, you guys think I'm joking. The fear in my heart, it was not as big in the cars as when my, I failed my mom. And I failed her that day, right? Because I come in like, because when I played American football, you know why I was good? Because I just barreled through everybody. I didn't try to go around people. I just knocked them down. And that's what I did at home. <laughs> knocked the whole shelf down. Mom was pretty livid. This stuff she can't get back. It was stuff that could not be replaced. Thankfully, she liked me more slightly, <laughs> you know? But you know what? That's, that's kind of the thing, right? I just come through destroying stuff because I'm losing focus. Hey, I'm in the house. Take it easy. You don't have to run through the door like that, you know? Jacket flailing and all this stuff. But yeah, I was a, I'm going to say I was a kid, but I was a teenager. I was over 16 years old. <laughs> You know, I should have known better. But I can always come up with an excuse. Mom, it wasn't my fault. My foot, my coat, you know, just was just flowing in the wind because I was moving so fast. <laughs> These are the kinds of excuses. We would say things like that to my mom. And she's like, really? That's what you're going to tell me? <laughs> That's what I was going to try to tell you. But since you've already seen through it, yeah, it was my fault. You know? And the Israelites are the same. They always had an excuse. And the nice thing here is that God's telling us the Lord was with, he was with the people of Judah and they took possession of the hill country, but they failed to drive out the people living in the plains who had iron chariots. How could they fail if God is with them? It says right there, God was with them. How could they fail? I can tell you, I can, I, I got verses in Joshua and Judges telling you how many chariots. There were over 900 chariots. I could tell you that. Hey, I'm, I can help the Israelites out here. <laughs> but the excuse doesn't matter. God was with them. There should have been no failure. That means that they lost focus. The town of Hebron was given to Caleb as Moses had promised. Verse 20. And Caleb drove out the, living, the people living there who were descendants of the three sons of Anak. What do we see here? We see a very stark contrast. You got the people of Judah. That's a big tribe. I mean, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. Then, ver next verse. The town of Hebron was given to Caleb. One guy. One man. And Caleb, one man, drove out the people living there. He said, hey, sons, daughters, let's do this. You know? I don't, I don't think his, fam his personal family was hundreds of thousands of people. And I think the, the three sons of Anak, they were giants. 
You remember when the Israelites, when Caleb and Joseph and all the other, the 10 other uh, spies went into the land, they said they brought back bunches of grapes that were so big that they had to carry them on poles between their shoulders. I mean, have you seen a bunches of grapes, right? Just, you know, big. I mean, if you've got to carry grapes between two guys, that's big people. <laughs> Those are big people that you're going to contend with. But Caleb wasn't scared. He was not scared. I'll tell you what. Caleb, he was going to do this when he was 40. <laughs> and God said, no, 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 no. You're going to take too much credit when you're 40. Let's do this when you're 85. When Caleb took this town, he was over 85 years old. Do you guys understand that? Is that because of his prowess? Anybody here in the 80s? Do you feel stronger than when you were 40? I mean, I'm 47. I don't feel stronger than when I was 20. <laughs> I tell you that much. Not stronger than when I was 27. Right? We're people. I mean, we degrade. We get weaker. So when Caleb and his family go up into the and drive out the people of Hebron, who were the descendants of the three sons of Anak, so they were giants. I mean, I don't know. Shaquille O'Neal is the biggest giant I know, seven foot two or three. I mean, his head would be touching the ceiling. That's how big he is. I think these people were bigger. It says Goliath was over nine feet tall, which if you've ever played basketball, a basketball hoop stands at 10 feet tall. So Goliath was just, just under the hoop, not that much under the hoop, you know? That's these people. It says Goliath's brother was bigger. So Goliath must have been the runt. <laughs> no, honestly, Goliath's brother had said like, his spearhead weighed like 75 pounds. It's like 75 pounds? What the? That, that's heavy. You know, 75 pounds for a spearhead? Wow, okay. Caleb took that guy out. <laughs> Caleb didn't care. And I'll tell you why. Verse 20. I'm going to give you a couple of different references here. Numbers chapter 14, verse 24. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I'll bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. So I'm going to list you a couple more verses, and you're going to see why Caleb is able to do this at 85 years old. Joshua 14.9. So that day, Moses solemnly promised me. It's like Caleb saying it, you know, an accounting. The land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly follow the Lord my God. Joshua 15.14. Caleb drove out the three groups of Anakites. These are tribes. He's taking out whole tribes of people. The descendants of Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the sons of Anak. I mean, Caleb and his family, which I don't know how big they were. I know Caleb had daughters. So it already looks even more difficult. <laughs> you know, if I'm going to go into battle, I'm not taking Ella and Lily. I'm not. You know, they're tough. I mean, don't get me wrong, Ella. I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend you. My girls are tough girls. I'm taking my three boys. <laughs> I'm not trying to be a jerk. My boys are stronger than them. They're faster than them. And they don't cry as much. It's true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> right? Right? If you're going into battle, your first thought is not, let me take my daughters with me. <laughs> is it? No. 
It isn't. But that's what Caleb, as far as I know, Caleb definitely had one daughter, if not more, right? But Caleb is able to drive out the giants, something he intended to do when he was 40 years old. When they espied the land, Caleb was about 40. I don't know exactly how old Joshua was. And he said, let's go, let's do this. And everybody was like, no, 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 we can't do this. And then subsequently, they, they walked around in the wilderness for 40 more years. Okay, so if Caleb's 40, they walk around in the wilderness for 40 years. They come back to the promised land. Now he's 80, and now it takes a time to get through Jericho and AI and all these other, by the time they get around to this, Caleb's older than 80, right? And I think at the point, he might have been 45, because it says, he says in his house, now that I am 85 years old, I'm ready to take this land. <laughs> when I'm 85 years old, I'm ready to take a nap. Personally, I'm ready to take a nap. I'm not going out to battle anybody. I'm being serious. Guys, if I ever, Ezra, if I'm ever 85, you can, I guarantee you, I'll be taking a nap. <laughs> you know, Ezra, if Ezra comes up to me and says, Dad, let's go do this, buddy, it's nap time. I can't do that right now. After the nap, maybe, <laughs> you know? But Caleb was able to drive out these giants in his 80s. Judah, a whole tribe, hundreds of thousands. I think if we look back into the, the first five books of the Bible, it, we can get an assertion of how many people were in Judah, but I'm belie I believe is around five, at minimum of 500,000 people, fighting men, right? And they can't take... And at this point, they had the help of Simeon, another tribe. So it's two tribes going to take, and they can't drive out the people in the plains who have some iron chariots. I, do you see the contrast I'm making here? They both believe in the same God, right? They both serve the same God. They both follow the same God. But Caleb is able to do greater things than the tribes of Judah and Simeon together. Why is that? I told it to you why. I told you why in Numbers chapter 14. It says, my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. And then Joshua 14.9, it says, because you wholeheartedly follow the Lord my God. Caleb's 100% in. That's why. He doesn't look at like, oh, I don't know, Lord. If God told him, let's go take these guys out, Caleb says, okay, let's go do it. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. There's 100% belief that if God is with me, I can defeat this. That's Caleb's attitude. And I know we all employ this attitude in certain things, right? I'm about to make a joke. Right? God, with this help, I can, I can destroy this cake. You know me. <laughs> right? These chicken wings with some blue cheese on the side. I will put a hurting on those. <laughs> right? But if it's something bigger than that, we start to falter. We start to balk. Like, oh, oh, whoa, hey, Lord, go tell that person about Jesus. Well, I don't know. You know, they've been mean before. <laughs> I want you to give this away. Well, I don't know, Lord. I kind of need it. <laughs> well, bless these people. You know what I mean? It can be lots of different things. How many requests has God made of you in your life? Probably in all sorts of areas. Maybe in some financial areas. Maybe in some time areas. Maybe in just helping people. Lots of different things. Maybe in opening your house for people to live or stay or just come for a meal. Right? And we balk at these things. Well, I don't have enough food. 
I mean, Jesus fed 5,000. He had a couple pieces of bread and some fish. We have a, I have a lot more than that in my fridge. Right? We balk at very simple things that God asks us to do. Be kind to this person. Ah, well, I don't really know them. That's usually my excuse. I'm not a big fan of going out of my comfort zone to talk to strangers. I just let them walk by. I'm from New York, man. You look straight ahead. You don't make eye contact. You keep moving. That's exactly it. You want to make it in New York? That's what you need to employ. I'm telling you, start looking around and stuff. You're going to get run over. <laughs> oh, wow. Hey, how you doing? Buddy? Okay. That's exactly how it is. You know? If you've ever been there as a tourist, you can... You try to ask questions, people just keep, they're just walking. <laughs> they're not stopping. But that's not what God wants us to do. He doesn't want to be us to be like that. He wants us to be that person that's stopping to talk to people. He wants us to be that person that is inviting and is approachable. He wants us to be that person. Verse 21, the tribe of Benjamin, however, I don't even know why it says however there, to be honest. <laughs> the tribe of Benjamin, forget the however, failed to drive out the Jebusites. They probably had some success somewhere else, but in this case, they failed, who were living in Jerusalem. So to, to this day, the Jebusites live in Jerusalem among the people of Benjamin. So this is not just something that um, plagues Judah or Simeon or anything like that. It, it plagued Benjamin as well, losing focus. Joshua 15, 63 says this, but the tribe of Judah could not drive out the Jebusites who lived in the city of Jerusalem. So the Jebusites lived there among the people of Judah to this day. A lot of the tribes did a lot of like linking up which they should, right? Linking up, helping each other out. But even in that case, they didn't even still have, didn't still have enough strength to do it. If we rely on our own strength, we're not going to be able to do it. I'll be honest with you. I was talking to Chantel here just before we started singing, and um, Tim prayed for the whole team, and then a bunch of them went to grab a drink and go to the toilet before we sang, right? And Chantel and I are sitting here because we're the two nervous ones. <laughs> like... Oh, man, why does Claire have to work today? <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to lead. You lead. No, you, you lead. No, you lead. <laughs> uh, that happened earlier on the text messages the other day. Chant Chantel texted me, Juan, you'll lead the last three songs. I was like, wait, what? No? No, <laughs> no you lead them. <laughs> you know? Because we, we have anxiety. We prefer to be in the background. I, you know, that's, but why can't God conquer that too? Right? And you guys might say, well, Juan, you look very confident up there. I'm a good faker. <laughs> but you know what? That's not my confidence either. That's the confidence of the Lord. It is the confidence of the Lord. Because once we just, we, we pray together, Lord, help us. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious. I don't, I'm nervous. I'm going to mess up. You know? But the Lord doesn't care about that. He wants 100% focus on him. And as we slowly focused ourselves on the Lord, we were able to lead worship. And it actually, in, our, in my own estimation, her estimation, it was fine. We didn't make any major screw-ups. You know, we didn't forget to come in. We didn't hit the wrong notes. Whew. Okay, we made it. <laughs> you know, but it, it worked out. Praise the Lord. But that was the Lord. It wasn't Chantel. It wasn't me. It was the Lord. The Lord can quickly clean things up for us. That was a quick one. I mean, 30 seconds before the thing ended and we started. And sometimes it takes a little bit more time, but we need to continue to keep our focus on the Lord. 
If you look at this, the tribe of Benjamin, they failed to drive out the Jebusites. It's not that they didn't do what they were supposed to do, right? They did attack, but they didn't eradicate the enemy. And I saw a spiritual uh, parallel on this, and it, it says, I wrote this down, they didn't mortify the flesh. You guys ever heard that word mortify? Yeah? Well, I looked it up anyways. <laughs> to subdue the body or its needs and desires by self-denial or discipline. You probably get monks who do that, you know? To subjugate the body, its passions, etc., by abstinence, ascetic discipline, or self-inflicted suffering. But it, what really got me was where the, the, the word originates from and what the original, the origination means. So from the Middle English, in the senses, to put to death. And then it comes from M-O-R-T, mort. That's the root of it, which means death. To mortify the flesh is not to just say, no, no, I'm not going to do that right now. It's to never do it again. It's to kill it. Do you guys understand that? To kill it. And when I'm talking about the flesh, I'm talking about the sin in your life. I don't want to use big words and get confusing and use all this Christian language, right? The sin in your life, the things that you do that don't measure up with what God wants you to do. We're talking about this in youth group on Friday night because we're working through the book of Romans. And I asked them, what's sin? And they're like, uh, the things you do. You know, this normal answers kids, everybody gives. Not just kids. Everybody gives the same answer. But you know what sin is? It's actually an archery term. Yeah, see, Cosme. He was like, ah, yes, I remember this. <laughs> it's an archery term. And I wasn't planning on talking about this, but if we're going to talk about mortifying the flesh and killing our sin, we have to bring this up. An archery term. You ever see an archery target? It's a circle with another circle, and it just gets small and small until you have the bullseye, right? Consider the bullseye God and his ways. And, ever, and in archery, when you pull, the, pull it back and let it fly, and if you don't hit the bullseye, they call sin. Sin. You missed. You missed the mark. The mark of perfection. You missed it. So anytime that you miss the mark of perfection, you have sinned. Crazy, right? That stinks. I mean, the Ten Commandments, shoot, man. I don't even, uh, forget the Ten Commandments. I miss it even more than that. I miss it even more than that. We have to mortify the flesh. We have to subdue missing the mark of perfection. Being like Christ. What does Paul, John the Baptist tell us? Less of me, more of him. The whole point is to be more like Christ. More like God. That means missing the mark of perfection less. <laughs> right? So we have to mortify the flesh. The Benjamite, Benjaminites, you, 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 you read later on, and we read earlier on in the books of the, the law, right? That they really messed up a lot of times. You know? They messed up low, big, big time stuff. And they fell to the sin of sexual immorality quite badly. You know, the, tribe, the Benjamites, the tribe of Dan, they, they fell to this a lot. Prostitutes, temple prostitutes, prostit all this kind of crazy stuff. You're like, what? These are the guys that follow God? Right? And they, and they were perfectly fine. Listen to this. The tribe of Benjamin, however, failed to drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. So to this day, I mean, that was thousands of years ago. To this day, the Jebusites live in Jerusalem among the people of Benjamin. They are more than happy to just continue living with their sin. 
I'm not, I'm not reaching too far to make these conclusions, folks. <laughs> it's just like us. Ah, you know, I can't, I can't beat this. I'm just going to have to let it go. I'm just going to have to live with it. <laughs> That's not what God wants. God doesn't want us to live with our sin. That's not acceptable. That's what I tell my kids. When they do something, I'm like, that's not acceptable. And they're just like, they realize the gravity of it. That means we don't do that. It is not accepted here in this house. That is not acceptable. And that's what God is telling us about living with our sinful nature. It's not acceptable. It's not too high of a standard to live like Christ. It's not. You know, somebody told me that once, or I heard it from somebody who said, this person says, you guys lived like Jesus. That's too high of a standard. What? This is that church. What do you mean living like Jesus is too high of a standard? That's what the Bible keeps telling me to do. What, what do you want me to do about this? You know? I, I was troubled about that. I think I'm still troubled about it, to be honest. <laughs> I'm trying to live like Jesus is too high of a standard. That's crazy. That's exactly what we, the standard we need to be looking at to try to live. The standard of Jesus Christ. So un unlike the Benjamites, unlike Judah, unlike Simeon, we can't continue to just live with our sin. You know, Judah moved into that hill country, but they just, the chariots, they stayed. The Benjamites moved into Jerusalem. The Jebusites, they stayed. Right? I mean, I don't know what the sin is in your life. I know everybody's got it. You can try to deny it, but it's not, it's true. Everybody's got sin in their life. What sin are you living with? that you can really rely on the Lord and say, I need to clean this up. I don't need to just clean this up, Lord. I need to kill this. I need to subjugate it and destroy it and kill it, mortify it. Then we're going to get a little bit more of a different picture. The descendants of Joseph, 22, attacked the town of Bethel, and the Lord was with them. So they did it a little bit differently. They kind of went back to a little bit of the ways Joshua did it, right? And you have to think about the descendants of Joseph. You know who that is? Manasseh, Ephraim, right? It seems they took God pretty serious. It says the Lord was with them. They attacked the town of Bethel. Verse 23, they sent men to scout out Bethel. Does this sound familiar? Remember guys scouting out the promised land? Other guys scouting out Jericho? Other guys scouting out AI, right? This was like, kind of like the way they operated. They operated like this. They scattered out Bethel, formerly known as Luz. This is a method the Israelites have employed before. They've been successful in it. So they say, let's do it again. <laughs> right? They came up with a plan, and this is exactly what we need to do, right? We need to come up with a plan, which is inspired by the Lord, to defeat our enemy. I think the Lord inspired them, said, go scout out Bethel. Go take a look at it. And I was, again, I was reading, I have this book. It's called Haley's Bible, Comment, uh, Bible Handbook. And it has a lot of like archaeological evidence, things like that. It's not a, necessarily a commentary. It's telling me what actually existed then, how, the customs, the cultures, things like that. So it seems the, the city of Bethel actually had a hidden entrance. Why would they need to ask this guy how to get into the city if there was just an open gate there, right? They didn't know how to get into a city. That's pretty ingenious, if you ask me. Only the people that live in there know how to get in and out. That was, that's a pretty good defense, right? Until somebody snitches. <laughs> Until somebody snitches. But you know what? To snitch, you've got to have some good incentive. If you're going to snitch, make sure you're getting some good for it. 
Okay? <laughs> that's, that's my advice to you. <laughs> Think about it. God gives us the same tools. Look at what they did. They confronted a man coming out of the town and said to him, show us a way into the town and we will have mercy on you. Hey, that's a good incentive, man. I show you in, you don't kill me? I'm in. <laughs> you know, I don't need much more incentive than that. They came up with a plan, which I do believe was inspired by the Lord because they actually said the Lord was with them. Right? The Lord was with them. So they came up with a, a plan that was inspired by the Lord. <clears throat> the Lord was with them. The Israelites scout out Bethel. That's part, plan, step one, scout out Bethel. Okay, there's no way in. Then they see a guy. How'd that guy get out? Right? So what they do? They snatch him. <laughs> right? You've seen this movie. It's called Taken. <laughs> right? They snatched the guy. They put him in the back of the donkey. <laughs> okay. Put a bag over his head. No. <laughs> no. I don't think it went that far, but they grabbed the guy. They surround him. Obviously, they surround him enough that he is intimidated. Yeah? Because they said, all they have to say is, we will have mercy on you, and he gave it up. <laughs> he gave it all up. Right? But the interesting thing is this. God gives us tools and resources to conquer our flesh. Do you guys realize that? A lot of you are holding it open on your, on your, on your lap right now. It's called the Bible. A lot of you employ it at night. You do it with your kids. You pray. Right? Those are your tools. Those are not actually tools. If you read Ephesians chapter 6, you know what it says those are? Weapons. It says they're weapons. The sword of the spirit. And pray without ceasing. The Bible is your sword. That's how you take down the enemy. And everybody thinks, yeah, the enemy, the Satan. I'm going to fight Satan. No, man, you're not fighting Satan. You can't even fight yourself. <laughs> you need to conquer your own, yourself, the flesh. Satan is God's territory. He'll handle Satan. He protects us from Satan. When Satan sees a strong opponent standing there, yeah, he comes and does battle. He'll come and he'll come after you. You know, he'll hit the finances. He'll hit, he'll hit your health. He did it to Job, right? Even Peter. Jesus told him, hey, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. <laughs> he was going to get attacked by Satan. How was he able to stand? Employing the tools that he was given. He had the scripture in his head. As a Jew, he had memorized the scripture, right? He knew to look to Jesus and keep his eyes on Jesus. And what happened when Peter lost focus? He denied Jesus three times, right? He denied Jesus three times. He fell asleep when he should have been praying. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> My mom was a big fan of the 5 a.m. prayer meeting. <laughs> and being six active boys, 5 a.m. is a prime sleeping time. You know, 5 a.m., kind of time to get up, time to do prayer. And I'm like, what? What? Why? <laughs> that was mine. Okay. Let's pray. Lord. <laughs> Amen. Did we finish? No, we just started. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay, well, on your turn, Lord. I, I have fallen asleep so many times in the middle of praying. <laughs> it's sad, I know. It's funny, but it's sad at the same time. <laughs> You know, but these are our tools. Prayer, then 
reading the word of God, not just reading it for the sake of knowledge. You know what I mean? If you want to read something for knowledge, then go get an encyclopedia, not the Bible. The Bible is to get to know Jesus better, to understand who he is, why he would go to the great lengths to do this for you. Do you understand that? Like, for instance, I know everybody here is not married, but for instance, when I, Victoria and I became friends 15, 17 years ago, I don't know, long time ago, right? I wanted to get to know her. Obvious, right? I wanted to get to know her. But then she reciprocated and wanted to get to know me. And then you start to think, why does she want to get to know me? Okay, great. You know, going back and forth. You're going back and forth. You're reciprocating. Well, that's a relationship with God. He already knows you, but you need to get to know him. But then he starts to reveal more about you. The interesting is this. As you get to know Jesus better, you get to know yourself better. And it's not pretty, let me tell you. It is not pretty. We get to understand that we're more fallen than we thought. We're not as great. I'm not, I'm not as big of a deal as I thought I was unfortunately for me, right? We, this is the things we start to find out. We start to find out, and God starts put, pointing at this. What about this? You're like, oh, yeah, I was hiding that. How did you see that? You know, and what about this? We've got to clean this up. Oh, Lord, that's a hard one. I don't want to do that. That, that means I actually have to tell other people <laughs> how bad I am, right? That's what, that's what God does. He gives us these tools. So the Israelites had tools. They had a reconnaissance plan. We're going to recon this city. We're going to look around it. Interesting, this city has no doors. How are we going to get in? Then they see a guy just outside the city. Grab that guy. How'd you get out? <laughs> you know? Verse 24. They confronted a man coming out of the town and said to him, show us a way into the town and we will have mercy on you. Something they've done before, right? Jericho and Rahab. Hide us. And if we get away clean, we'll make sure you're taken care of when we run this city. And that's exactly what they did. At least the Israelites were people of their word. <laughs> right? Rahab and her They said, anybody from your family that's in this room, when we conquer this land, will be safe. You know, the crazy thing is this. Because Rahab took that little bit of faithfulness. She said, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm with you guys. I'll, I'll, I'll help you. You know she's in the family lineage of Jesus Christ? Rahab. I said she was a prostitute. Right? I mean, if God can redeem anybody, he can redeem us, right? Ruth. You guys ever heard of Ruth? She wasn't even a Jew. She was a Moabite. She was an enemy of God's people. She's in the family line of Jesus, too. So you might think you're unworthy. You might think I've messed up too much. You might think all these things. You might think, like, I'm weak. God doesn't really want me. I, I struggle too much. I fall too much. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Proverbs tells us seven times a righteous man falls, and seven times the righteous man gets back up. He doesn't stay down. Even though we mess up, even though we sin, even though we miss the mark of perfection, even though all these thoughts go through our heads or we do bad things and things like that, it's okay. And I'm not, I'm not okaying your sin. I'm saying it's okay. Come back to the Lord. Don't, make, don't let that push you further away. 
come to the realization that I need Jesus more than I thought. I can't beat this myself. I can't beat this addiction. The thing with this is this. You might say, well, I have no addictions. I'm not addicted to drugs, and I'm not addicted to alcohol, and I'm not addicted to sex. But all sin is an addiction. If you do it more than once, you're addicted, man. Think about it. <laughs> you can't stop yourself from sinning, can you? On your own. Can you 100% cold turkey stop yourself from sinning? No, you can't. That's why you're all sitting here now. <laughs> Honestly. Why are you in church? Because at least you've come to this, some of this realization. That you can't fix yourself. So who can? Who? Jesus. Jesus can fix you. you. You're not too broken for Jesus. And here's the wild thing. As a builder, and my, my, my wife likes to call me a tinkerer. It's weird. I don't like that word. But I do fix lots of things. Because I'm always tinkering at home. She's like, are you really going to try to fix that? Yep, here you go, fixed. She's like, what? If you know the product, you can usually make the repairs and fix it. Do you think God knows who you are? What does the, the Psalms tell us? Fearfully and wonderfully made. He knit you together in your mother's womb, every single one of you. What does that mean? He knows you. He knows you. When I build something, I know every part of it. I put every nail, every screw, screw every bit of glue, every stick of timber or brick, I put it there. I know exactly what's going on in that building. Oh, we got a leak. Oh, it's because that brick is moved. Uh, oh, whoa. <laughs> Just move it back, mortar it back in, leak is gone. Right? That's how God is with those things. He knows exactly what the problem is, so he can fix you. He can fix you. Some of you might, hopefully I'm not bringing offense, and some of you might be thinking, I'm not broken. <laughs> I'm not saying that. But because we're all sinners, we're all broken to an extent and to a certain degree. Some of us might be less broken than others, but everybody's broken. We're all flawed. <clears throat> so they confronted a man coming out of the town and said to him, show us a way into the town and we will have mercy on you. So verse 25, what he would naturally do, okay, you won't kill me if I show you the way in. Yes, you promise. I promise. Look at Jericho. Look at Rahab. You know, we have witnesses. We have credentials in this. All right. So he showed them a way in. Verse 25, and they killed everyone in the town except that man and his family. Okay. The descendants of Joseph, you know? Later, now, when I read this verse, I thought, why, why does this even matter? <laughs> why does this verse even matter? Later, the man moved to the land of the Hittites, where he built a town. He named it Luz, which is, which is its name to this day. F fantastic. Good for him. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> okay, why are you telling me this? So, Because I couldn't figure it out myself, I just looked up a, a pastor that I like. His name is John Corson. He's a Calvary Chapel pastor on the west coast of, the, of America. And he made, this, he made this very interesting point, which I was like, I didn't even see that. He made this point. This man comes into contact with the mercy of God. Think about that. 
right? He comes into contact with the mercy of God. And what does he do after he, com he comes into contact with God? He leaves. He goes somewhere else and sets up a town, names it exactly the same thing, and continues to live the same way. Don't be that man. <laughs> That's what I realized. Don't be that man. Don't meet God. What, what, and however you might meet God, you might meet him at a conference, you might meet him here at church, you might have been baptized, you might, have, you might be saved. You met God when you were saved, right? But then don't just walk away and say, all right, thanks, man, see you later. <laughs> right? Thanks for letting me live. <laughs> I'm going to go do my thing. I'm just being me. <laughs> you know, don't, don't, do, don't be that man. That's what that pointed out to me. I, like I said, at first I was like, I have no idea why he put this verse here. And that, you know, and this is what Bible study is, to dig deeper. Don't rely on commentaries necessarily, but don't be afraid to dig. Why does it say, however? <laughs> why does it say, but? So don't, so I, I wrote down a couple conclusions for you. I know some of you might be keeping notes. I thought I'd make it easy. A couple questions you can ask yourself, a couple questions you can ponder and actually hopefully take action on. Do we wholeheartedly, like Caleb, let take God at his word, employing the tools we've been given? It looks like the families of Joseph did it and Caleb did it. They were able to conquer difficult things. Joseph's fam uh, tribes, the tribe of Joseph, conquered a city with no discernible way in, right? Caleb conquered three, a minimum of three tribes of giants. Okay. All right. Do I take God at his word like that and employ the tools? Because the tribes of Joseph, what they did is they employed tools. Let's, let's scope this out. Let's see what we got here. And they were smart about it, too. You can be smart about things. And I'm not telling you not to have faith. There are things we can do, and there's things we can't. I could not defeat my anger. As much as I tried, the more I tried to be less angry, the angrier I got because I couldn't do it. <laughs> you got it's this horrible, this is horrible cycle. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be less angry. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, he's gonna say, "How dare you say that to me?" Oh man, I messed up again. I hate myself. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try again. I'm gonna try, and, and that was what it was. That's what it was. I would be angry. I don't. Okay, I'm not gonna be angry. I'm not gonna be angry. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be cool. I'm gonna be cool. I'm gonna be cool. And then I get upset. <laughs> Okay, I'm, I'm, this next time I'm going to be cool. But then I wouldn't be upset at what happened. I'd be more upset at me. But I took it out on everybody else. That's how it works. That's how it worked for me anyways. I would be angry at myself for failing, but everybody else got the brunt of it. <laughs> yeah, is that how it works? That's how it works. Everybody else got the brunt of it. So am I wholeheartedly going to take God at his word, employing the tools he's given me? The word of God. Prayer, the Holy Spirit. If you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The moment I surrendered, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I just can't do this anymore. The Holy Spirit was like, hey, I've been here the whole time. <laughs> I've been sitting in this nice love seat you have over here in your heart, just waiting. I'm patient. You know? And the moment I was like, all right, just do whatever you want, God. Just, I, I just can't do this anymore. He did it. Now, because I'm fallen, am I going to tell you that I never have been angry again? That would be a lie. 
I'm human. Things arise that really get me boiling. I have some Spanish blood in me too, so you know, I got a couple marks against me. <laughs> I, I can get pretty quick, pretty angry pretty quick. I mean, yeah, zero to 60 in zero seconds, man, <laughs> right? So see all the things he's given us to conquer our sinful nature, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, prayer. I mean, God is right there at our beck and call to help us. And as we read in the scriptures, it said, the Lord was with them. He was with Joseph. He was with Judah. He was with Simeon. He was with Benjamin. He was with Caleb. He was with all of them. That's the beautiful thing. He was with all of them. But some, some were succeeded and some failed. What does that tell you? They didn't use their tools well. Believe me, I, I use tools all the time. I've seen some guys with a hammer. And I'm, I'm a carpenter, and we used to build timber houses in the States. I used to build custom homes. So exactly what you wanted is exactly what we built, right? And we all had a hammer, and we all pounded nails. We didn't use screws. Everything was nails, right? I'll tell you what, some guys could handle that tool of the hammer a lot better than others, <laughs> a lot better. Some guys like, wah, wah, and it's just bent nails everywhere. And you're like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> Get a hold of yourself. Get over there and practice with this tool, right? But that's that, you know? And you see some Christians are like, well, man, they're really good Christians. They just employ their tools better. They rely on the Holy Spirit more. They read their Bible more. Does that mean they don't mess up? See, don't get, fall into this, like, this um, social media type of mindset where all you see is the good stuff. If I was posting on social media things of bad stuff, man, I'd probably be rich. Seriously. <laughs> the bad stuff, right? I mean, some of my friends know the bad stuff that happens because I tell them, hey, man, got bit by a dog today. Awesome. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> you know? If I, po I didn't post any pictures of that, <laughs> right? I you think I'm joking. I did get bitten by a dog about a month ago. Twice. <laughs> while I was driving my car. It was in my car. <laughs> then after it got bitten, I still had to drive five and a half more hours with this dog in my car. <laughs> it was a long day. <laughs> I should have posted some pictures. <laughs> Here's my day. <laughs> you know, nobody posts pictures like that. Right? We, we can't get caught up in this, like, I only see the good stuff, so then you're jealous and you're coveting, I want that life. I want that house. I want this. I want that. This is all I see, right? I want to be a Christian like him. I want to be a super Christian like that person. Super Christian, man. They got a cape and everything. <laughs> super Christian. That's what I want to be. I don't want to wear my underwear on the outside, though. I'm going to keep mine on the inside. <laughs> I'm going to be a kind of a little bit of a different super Christian. You ever notice that? Superheroes always wear their underwear on the outside. It's weird. OK, anyways. Sorry. <laughs> so God has given us all these tools. We need to employ the tools better. We can make lots of excuses. We can say there's iron chariots. Lord, there's no door. I can't even get in. We can make lots of excuses. But Caleb, we need to be more like Caleb. No excuses. God said do it. He did it. 
Because if God says do it, that means it's going to happen. You guys ever heard that? Right? If God says it, it happens. Correct? Go and conquer this city. Guess what? That means if you go, you will conquer the city. What, is, what did he tell Paul? In your weakness, I am strong. Right? And that's what we need to rely on. We're relying on our strength. We've got it backwards. When, it doesn't say when you are weak, you are strong. It says when you are weak, I am strong. God is strong. When you're weak, that's when God steps in. You've, you've read that thing about footprints in the sand. I think Pastor Dave mentioned it a few weeks ago. Footprints in the sand. Have you seen that one before? And that's exactly the picture of it. Two sets of footprints in the sand. It's you walking with Jesus. Then, a few times, there's, no, there's only one set of footprints in the sand. And the conclusion was, Jesus, you left me. And that's when Jesus said, I didn't leave you. That's when I was carrying you. And you're like, oh, right. When we are weak, he is strong. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit more. We need to read our Bible more which actually feeds the Holy Spirit in our life and starves the flesh, right? We need to pray more. We don't pray enough. We take it for granted. I'm doing pretty good. And so we forget to pray about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I find that every time. Every time I forget, I fall to it. I'm like, Shoot, I need to set a reminder. <laughs> 8 a.m., 8 p.m., but I'm going to bed. Pray, right, pray. You can be specific, too. Don't just say pray. Pray about this, this, and this, you know? Set reminders. People ask me when I go do work, and people are like, why did your phone keep beeping? Oh, it's reminders. What's that telling you? That one reminded me to eat lunch. <laughs> you know? They remind me to leave. They remind me to pack up. Sometimes they remind me to pray. You know? So we, we need to be smart. Like the people of the fam tribe of Joseph that went in, they were smart about it. They did some recon. They found somebody who knew, so they got the information they needed from that man. And then they employed that, those new tools to conquer the city. <laughs> That's what we have to do. Secondly, do we just leave God's presence after having encountered him, whether it's through salvation or baptism or at a conference or during worship, and go set up what we're familiar with in a different place and keep doing the same old thing? Is that what we do? I mean, that's what I've done, and that's what I do sometimes. Are we just repeating the same thing again? I'm just going to read to you three verses, and then we're done. Just reminders. Romans chapter 6, verses 5 to 7. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our sinful, old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. You don't need to be addicted to it anymore. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Romans chapter 6, 12 to 14. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Romans 12.2 Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. 
by changing the way you think. Changing the way you think. When I am weak, he is strong. That is a change in the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You need to submit. You need to let God lead. We all want to be the leader. Right? In life, we all want to lead our life. That's not what God wants for us. Let God lead. That's what was the whole point. As we're coming into the book of Judges, you're going to see that they, the people were always looking for a leader. The leader was there the whole time. God was there the whole time. But they were kept looking to people to lead them. And people don't lead that well. You know, blind people following blind people means there's a whole bunch of blind people bumping into stuff. Honestly, if you don't, if you don't can't see the way clearly, why would you follow somebody else who also can't see the way clearly? <laughs> you follow the one who can see clearly. And in our life, in the spiritual life, that is God. That is Jesus Christ. That is the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you just for leading us, Lord Jesus. Lord, I know it's, it's difficult to sometimes assimilate this into our minds. Sometimes it's difficult to think this way. But Lord, help us to form new thought patterns, new ways of thinking, that instead of every time something comes up that's difficult, we just fall to, how can I figure this out? That we fall on our knees and pray, Lord, what should I do? Lord, how do I handle this? Lord, I need your strength. Lord, help me, help everyone in this room. Help us to teach this to our kids. Help us to teach this to our friends' kids and our nieces and our nephews and all and everybody, Lord Jesus. Help us to live in a way that we can be a big change because we've been changed. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Cool.